Astria Travelers, and welcome to another episode of Tales of Tavat, a Genshin Lore podcast. Last week, we took our first trip to Inazuma and learned about the Vision Hunt decree. Hopefully, A is okay with the new open borders in Inazuma since the end of the Archon quest there. This week, we're going to ruin Beez's day as we talk about child with an E, Tartaglia. No. Oh, God. Additionally, I want to remind travelers to visit talesofdevot.com to see visual representations of the lore mentioned during today's podcast. Your guides have put them together for you to make things a little easier to understand. Also, we have a very exciting announcement to make. To celebrate the holidays with all of our amazing listeners and supporters and travelers, we're going to be doing a Welkin Moon giveaway. We'll be giving away two Welkin Moons on our Instagram account and an additional two Welkin Moons on our Twitter account. Travelers can enter on both channels for a chance to win after engaging with the pinned posts. We'll be announcing our winners online during our holiday special on December 21st. Travelers can learn more about the rules and regulations for entering and exactly what type of engagement you have to do by visiting us on our Instagram, Tales of Tavat Pod, or by visiting us on Twitter, Tales of Tavat. But now let's jump into things. So today we're talking about Tartaglia Child, Ajax, the man with three names, one of my favorite characters. But I think before we jump into any of the lore and stuff, we have to talk a little bit about Shneznaya and the Fatui and the Harbingers. So for our travelers who do not know, Shneznaya is the land of the Cryo Archon. It is an unlocked nation that so far we travelers don't have access to. We're assuming, based on the trailer that we saw for Tavat for the whole game, that Shneznaya will be the last of the seven nations to be unlocked. Not necessarily the last location unlocked, of course. Mm-hmm. Besides Shneznaya being the Cryo nation, all we really know about it is that it might possibly be lightly based on russia lightly lightly <laughs> lightly, lightly. A bad bit. that is a hard Smidgen. fucking dip man into ice that's a fucking polar plunge into yeah. russian <laughs> And in Shesnaya, the Saritza, who is the Cryo Archon, has a group called the Fatui that she rules over. The Fatui, in my opinion, kind of are like the Knights of Favonius or the Liwei Chising as well. In the Fatui, there are certain members called the Harbingers. I believe there are 11 Harbingers. Yes, I believe it's 11. I think you're right. I'm like... I'm not the expert on that, but I believe you're correct. And these Harbingers are considered the higher-ups in the Fatui and Inchdesnaya. They are very scary people, typically. Uh, So far, by the end of the Sumeru Archon line, we have met four Harbingers, being La Signora, Child, Scaramouche, and Dodore. Of course, though, uh, over the summer of 2022, Genshin did release a video of Senora's funeral, where we did get to have a look at all of the Harbingers together, minus Scaramouche, because he was out doing God knows what, becoming Which a big god. Which was so ominous and so cool. Definitely one of the best cutscenes or videos from the game. And so unexpected. Unexpected and titled so perfectly, A Winner's Night Lazzo, which brings into many like things we'll talk about later on. So it's important to know that Child is one of the Fatui Harbingers. He is the newest Fatui Harbinger and therefore the youngest Fatui Harbinger, making him number 11. He's the baby. A man baby. Oh, no, it is. That's that's exactly why they named him that. 
is because he was the youngest child. Something really interesting too than just note about the Harbingers and the Fatui in general. Within the Harbingers, they are technically ranked by their strength. So child being number 11 means that technically he's the weakest of the Harbingers, at least in the eyes of the other Harbingers. I mean, we do beat the fuck out of him every Monday. So. Every Monday. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think... The shortest time we've done it in is maybe, what, 20 seconds? Oh my god, I feel like <laughs> I've never done it that fast, but I would I like to like watch that. I feel like we've done it that fast. It's, it was <laughs> the first two phases gone like that. <laughs> Another important thing to know about the Harbingers is that they all carry delusions. A delusion in Genshin is a man-made vision. Something we've talked about very briefly in some other episodes of ours. I think we talked about it during the Vision Hunt Decree episode last week as well. But every Harbinger has a delusion that grants them usually elemental powers different than their vision. Child, for instance, has a hydro vision, but uses an electro delusion. And this brings me to one of my questions. Mm-hmm. Do all of the harbingers have a vision? We know they all have a delusion because the Fatui are making the delusion, so they obviously would all have them. But do we know if all of the harbingers have, have visions? I do not know that. I don't believe so. But, you know, I'm trying to think back to that video and I don't even think we could see Childs because he's like wrapped up in his jacket in that. So it would be very interesting to know. And a third thing just to know in general about the Harbingers, which may lead to your question too, Tiff, why we're not sure. A lot of these Harbingers are like hundreds of years old. At least three of the Harbingers are known to be around during the Cataclysm, which was 500 years ago. Them being Piero, Signora, and Dodore. So they're very old and we don't, <laughs> sorry to anyone who's like 500 years old listening to this podcast, <laughs> but they're like really old <laughs> and we don't know necessarily when vision started getting given out as well. Nahida takes offense. She's Nahida, 500 she's... years old and <laughs> looks like well, a baby. She's an archon. Zhongli and Venti should also take offense and mm-hmm. <laughs> but th- those are just a few really important tidbits i think to know about the fatui and the harbingers when we're talking about child also the harbingers seem to be very political politics savvy i want to say poly savvy very very politically savvy people and they all seem to have different like things about them child also basically admits in his voice lines that he hates all of them like he has respect for like two of them <laughs> yeah he doesn't seem to get along very well or or i guess he um gets along in a, in a sneaky way because he has to because he's forced to but he does have a lot of respect for the saritza yeah oh, yeah a ton it's kind of weird yeah which it seems like all the harbingers kind of like they'll die for the saritza like that's part of the gig like you can be a harbinger as long as you're going to be like her soldier it's very bodyguard they must believe in a particular cause that she's doing aka hint hint (laughs) fuck celestia (laughs) yeah it definitely seems like the harbingers and saritza are both anti-celestia it seems from things we've read that the saritza seems to have been burned by celestia in some way Mm -hmm. and now she's very against it which leads me to have a ton of thoughts about child well child has a voice line about the saritza in which he says that she's actually very gentle as a person to a fault or something like that she's so gentle that that's why she had to harden herself and declare war against the world so it definitely makes it seem like they think of her as just doing bad things but just out of necessity to reach war 
world peace, essentially. Right. And I'm assuming whatever happened to the Saritza ended up affecting all of the people of Shesnaya. It seems like whatever happened to the Saritza happened during the Cataclysm as well. So it would seem that 500 years later, whatever happened to her is so ingrained in the people of her nation that they're very willing to join the Fatui as well. You know, in the manga, we see Dodore, or uh, I don't know, one Dodore, uh, go to Monsat to try to recruit people to join the Fatui, and Monsat's like, this is the worst idea ever. Mm-hmm. Dodore and the other Fatui member with him both are like, what? No, this is great. We do great stuff. What are you talking about? Like, they seem so unused to people being against what they want. <laughs> Yeah, and there's also a storyline in Sumeru that I will try not to get too deep into in case people haven't played it yet, but you basically find out that there is uh, this grand orphanage in Sneznaya where they're collecting orphans and basically training them. It's very, like, (laughs) creepy, like, Russian assassin storyline going on almost, where there's, you know, this whole family of orphans. And we we all know that Tavat has a lot of those. But they're, you know, (laughs) they're being collected by the, you know, the Fatui and raised in a certain way, uh, very cutthroat and scary uh, in Snezhnaya and infiltrating different areas outside of Snezhnaya. It's very intriguing, honestly. And I think it's also interesting because... In Sumeru, there's also another storyline. It might be the same storyline, but a different part of it where they're talking about kids going missing in like Sumeru, specifically in the forest. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Because there's this whole orphanage and, and they're raised in a certain way to get the job done. And part of what they're doing in Sumeru is snatching up children <laughs> in the woods. So it's like, you know, lost children snatching up lost children. Very Peter Pan. <laughs> it's real fucked up. All those kids don't have parents anyway, so at least somebody's getting them. Somebody's <laughs> dead. Oh. Why have they never tried to get Timmy? I know. Like, can we just Timmy offer is him the up? unknown guy. <laughs> Actually, that's a terrible idea because imagine how evil Timmy would be if he was raised by the uh, Fatui. His yeah. imaginary friend, the Ruin Guard. No, but <laughs> they're not taking Timmy because Monset during the manga literally was like, get out of here. You're not taking any of our kids. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be way too suspicious if Timmy, who literally sits on the bridge every day, went missing. You know what I would love to see as like a showdown in this game is Timmy versus Joel. (gasps) Yeah, you know what? And I want Joel to smack the shit out of Timmy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. In the next win trace, it's just Joel v. Timmy. And Ito comes up with Onikabato's. And it's like, fucking battle it out, man. (laughs) And then Joel beats the fuck out of Timmy. Uh, For our travelers who don't know, Joel is the little boy that you find in the adventure camp right outside of Dragonspine. For people who played prior to the Suspedo event of November 2021, Joel's father was missing, as many of you know. And Joel had no idea where the hell he was. For those of you playing post-Suspedo, so post-November 2021, you could see a reunited Joel and his supposed father, Joseph, talking to each other. And Joseph has quote-unquote amnesia, but I think it's just Suspedo. So there's there's a lot of weird things going on with kids in this game. Yeah, no, because we know that Joel's dad died on the mountain. And because you find that out during the, I think, in the mountain quest chain or a part of uh, one of those quest chains where you're looking for his dad and you find out that he passed passed away so that is definitely like a whopper flowery what that's such a red flag why didn't we say anything you're not my dad (laughs) we're just like 
finger guns. Cool, but good luck, Joel. Like, <laughs> You're like, well, at least he thinks his dad's alive. Yeah. It's so fucked, man. A sus dad is better than no dad? Yeah, I guess. Let's push past Dragon's Spine, continue our journey. We have now landed in Leeway. And when we first get the Leeway, again, spoiler warning, you guys know the drill by now. When we first get the Leeway, we find out that Rex Lapis has died. The mighty dragon has fallen. And for some reason, we have become suspect number one. And as we are running away from the scene of the crime, a certain tartagalicious man comes and rescues us. And if he plays Lumine, he goes, hey, girly. I don't know what he calls Ether. Hey, girly. It's the same. I hope. Is it the same? (laughs) No, I don't have an idea. I wish it was. (laughs) I don't even. Yeah, I don't remember. I blocked it all out. (laughs) He really came up like he was the main character. Yes. Yes. 100%. Because he is his main character. He truly believes he's the main character in the entire world. He's as delusional as Fischl. Well, that actually isn't far from the truth of his character from childhood because we know that his father used to tell him stories of adventurers uh while they would were ice fishing together and his name from childhood ajax is actually his father naming him after one of those adventurers that he would talk about and tell stories about and so in his personality like in his childhood he actually has always really envied adventurers who are the star of the story so it kind of makes a lot of sense with this personality absolutely yeah and we'll jump a little bit more into his childhood in a minute too but brandon has like already brought up some great points too that like he grew up knowing adventurers and knowing how amazing they were and he grew up like very hyper and stuff so he kind of just grew up unfortunately like brandon said just to be like a man child like he is like just (laughs) like the 22 year old version (laughs) of his 14 year old self which is great i mean i guess we all wish we could be that way but we end up following child he helps us escape and we learn a little bit about him he's got a ton of money He's basically Zhongli's sugar daddy. Uh, We (laughs) find out that him and Zhongli are kind of good friends. And I don't really remember the rest. And to be honest, I was infatuated with Child, probably too distracted. I was like, Lumine and Child are a perfect match. (laughs) (laughs) As I I hear Brandon's like echoes from like years ago being, oh my God, years ago. That's weird to say now. Like last year, last year, (laughs) being like... Fino, don't fall in love with him. Don't look away. Pay attention to his actions and not his butt. I don't mean why. Like, you're like, pay attention to his actions. And I'm like, pay attention to his assets. <laughs> we have tried, <laughs> tried the pull. Oh, and we've no. seen his asset. <laughs> if you're interested in learning more, please just go to reddit dm me on twitter i will explain <laughs> and there are several different locations that give you a better view send us an email tales <laughs> oh, at at gmail.com we'll let you know more <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> i said but and we're just talking about his ass <laughs> from there we kind of go along this weird quest line in leeway where we're trying to help jongli put together the funeral for rex lapis and we go to the golden house i forget exactly why we go to the golden house oh we go to the golden house because we think the gnosis is there yeah we think it's still like in the quote-unquote dead body 
Grand Slam this? Which has been moved out of like this open courtyard into the Golden House. For travelers who have done the storyline already, the Golden House is the domain that you fight child in every Monday, just like us. Right. And when Rex Lapis allegedly died, it was in this dragon form and that the gnosis was thought to be in that body and the gnosis if you forgot what that is is the is the little chess piece that the archons have in this game that allegedly tie them to celestia and we don't really know much more about them other than they are the sort of elemental nexus that ties them to the realm of celestia and the fatui are collecting them la senora stole ventis and then as you play through way you find out that there was actually a contract made between Zhang Li and the Saritza for him to hand his over. But Child doesn't know that during the actual Li Yue storyline. So Child is actually betraying us the entire time. And when we get to the Golden House, we find Child also there looking for the Gnosis, which he is trying to steal to bring back to the Fatui. This was a huge emotional like roller coaster for me. I was so disappointed in him. Me too. Right? Wasn't that just so unfortunate? Yeah, that and well, that and his whole thing of I'm only <laughs> I'm only beating you up because I like you. I was like, oh. I know. Well, I was less annoyed by that and more annoyed by him trying to murder everyone in the <laughs> Way Harbor. Yeah. You know, details. That was the part that bothered me, but you know. Details. Innocent victims, whatever. <laughs> so basically, we go through this golden house fight, which has three phases. But the first is we fight Vision Child, which is regular human child with his hydrovision. Then we attack and fight Delusion Child, which becomes an electro version of him. And lastly, after we crash through the floor, we fight Sao Legacy Child. Demon Dick Tartag, if you will. Yeah. So I'm not saying the other name with that. <laughs> sentence the narwhal from hell <laughs> the narwhal from hell so foul legacy is something the child learned in his childhood and we will talk about that in a little bit but i just wanted to make clear that they are all three different powers that child harnesses which to me the fact that he can harness all three of these things and he's only considered number 11 of the Fatui Harbingers and like we later kill like watch Signora die after fighting her like I don't know I feel like their rating system might be a little off <laughs> I mean we don't really even know if they know that he has that last power do we Oh that's a really good point I'm not sure the only person who might know is the guy who looks like Igor from Persona 5 Pulsinella Yeah that guy, Pulsinella. Oh yeah, Puls yeah, Pulsinella, the rooster. Yes, yes. Pulsinella, he actually currently helps Child still. So like when Child sends gifts home and stuff, like Pulsinella will like bring it to his family in Shiznaya and he'll actually check in on Child's family to see how they're doing and stuff. So he might know, but you're right, True. the others might yeah. not. But we'll jump into all that in a second. After we beat Child, and he is exhausted because the foul legacy takes a lot out of him, and so does using his delusion. Child is like, oh, you beat me, girly, but it's too late. <laughs> I've unleashed Osile onto the people of Leeway. And you're like, what? Who? What is an Osile? And Osile is an eight-headed water lizard? Leviathan. It's it's more basically a Leviathan. <laughs> Leviathan's one of the demons from the Ars Goetia, if you remember us talking about that a while back. There's also a lot of Leviathans in, in history. Anyway, but yeah, 
he's I don't know if he's eight headed or he's got more heads than he needs yep exactly just need like at a minimum of three is fine and then you're just getting to hydra territory and we don't stand so we kind of figure out what Ostile is and we run back to Leeway where there's a huge fight going on. Ostile is attacking the harbor. You have Beidou, Kaching, Ganyu, Zhao, Ningguang. They're all involved in this fight. And in the end, they end up crashing the Jade Chamber down onto Ostile. And that's how they get rid of him. When everything has settled, we go to... The Northland Bank, which is the bank owned by the Fatui and Shiznaya in Liwei Harbor. And there we see Child Zhongli and Senora having a little conversation. Right. And that's where they basically reveal to the player, even though most of us had figured it out by this point in the game, but they reveal that Zhongli is actually Rex Lapis, the Geo Archon. And then we find out that this contract, since he's also the god of contracts, he actually had the ultimate contract with the Saritza in which this whole thing with putting Liyue Harbor in danger was a part of their contract because he was essentially testing Liyue and its people to see if they could survive and get along without him. So he could essentially step down. And La Senora is there to collect on their deal since, you know, with the defeat of Osile, everything, and not just the defeat of Osile, but also with the agreements that were met between the Chising and the Adepti, who were right. sort of in a power struggle over the future of Liyue. So them sort of coming together to battle Osile and working everything out and how, in terms of how it's going to move forward from there, essentially completed the contract. And so Zhongli voluntarily gives his gnosis to Senora to take back to the Saritza, and Child is pissed off because Very he fire. was used you know basically like a little puppet by Zhongli and Senora and he really thought that you know at first I was I was kind of like oh well you know maybe he was in on it somehow and he wasn't really trying to murder everyone no he was really trying to murder everyone <laughs> in Liyue Harbor Zhongli wasn't going to let it happen we find out that you know he could have stopped it at the last minute basically and didn't have to but that you know child was kind of used as a little pawn in this game between him and the Saritza so he's not especially happy about that at the end of that part of the game and also very irritated by senora so i think he's kind of not really losing any sleep after she gets sliced into oblivion by the uh right and shogun wait can we just take a second to acknowledge like really what happened the child too i know he tried to murder people but not only did the fatui betray him not trust him didn't think that they Basically, Senora telling him that, like, hey, we had this deal, and as long as, like, the people of Leeway defended themselves from your attack, we were good mm -hmm. to go, we were getting this. The fact that he thought he was going to get the gnosis, that the Fatui were trusting him as the youngest Harbinger, also as the wild card out of all of them, to get the gnosis, and to find out the whole time that, like, his higher-ups didn't trust him and that Senora was actually put in charge of it, like, that's going to be crushing to someone like him who is so power-hungry currently and so dedicated to the Saritza. But on top of that, Zhongli was his only friend in Liwei. So to not only find out that your closest friend was 
a archon but to find out that he probably was only friends with you because he knew what you were up to and he had this contract that must be so disheartening especially for someone who is like so cold like child is a very cold-hearted character and to actually like open up to someone must have taken so much and to be comfortable and like Zhang Li teaches him how to use like chopsticks and child without even knowing he's an archon is like totally willing to pay for all of his stuff like I know that's why there's a lot of ships of them out there too. <laughs> so I just like, I can't imagine how bad that hurt child in the end too. I, and this is where you and I are going to disagree the whole episode. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have a different take. I think I could see that coming into play a little bit, but I also think of child as having been, well, I mean, and we can get into it with his childhood and what happened to him and what turned him into the character that he is now. But I actually think that he's not especially capable of real friendship. Totally possible. You're right. And that, you know, what Zhang Li did to him, he would definitely do and probably regularly does to everyone except maybe his brothers and sisters. He did it to us. Oh, yeah, literally. I'm really curious to see his relationship with Pulsanella and if there's something more meaty there but I wouldn't expect him to have any like to me that might be like the only other person besides Skirk who we'll talk about in a minute that I could see him having like a real actual respect or reverence in terms of like almost like a family connection because I think that he looks at everyone else as just an opportunity for chaos and an opportunity for an adrenaline rush and nothing beyond that. You feel like the adrenaline is the only thing he feels anymore yeah maybe i like the silence from that everyone's like damn all right well let's jump into his childhood then because i think we kind of we've done all the surface level what we know from his main storyline really let's jump into his family for our travelers who don't have child or haven't like looked into him at all child is one of like what at least five kids six kids seven kids i think it's seven yeah it's like six or seven of them we know for sure the three younger ones because he dotes on them so much and he comes up like even in the character his character demo he's actually reading a letter that he writes to Tanya, who's his younger sister. And we know that there's Tuser who comes into play into an actual quest, and he's a younger brother. And there's another younger brother named Anthon. We think there's at least two older brothers and an older sister, but there's nothing that's concrete about it. Right. Yeah, so it's six or seven, yeah. It's a lot. What else are you going to do in all of snow? Yeah, you're like, you're just going to go ice fishing and make babies. Mm-hmm. That's it. And maybe make soup. <laughs> <laughs> You know, just make some borscht. Make some good borscht. <laughs> so assuming that child has, you know, 9,000 siblings, it would seem like child has a very... It seems like child has... Why a... stop at 9,000? <laughs> <laughs> Six, seven, 9,000. All the same thing. Yeah. All the same thing. This is Genshin math. <laughs> uh, no, we can talk about birthday math. <laughs> Get out of here with that shit! My crack theory math I come up with in the middle of the night to make it seem like my favorite characters have similar birthdays to me when they don't. Anyway... <laughs> So a billion siblings, right? So many. So we can assume <laughs> that his family is really close. He probably has parents that are very loving, very caring. And as a middle child, you know, we could assume that pre 
the accident. Child is very rambunctious. He's probably not as closely doted on like his other siblings. He most likely has better relationships with his older and younger siblings than his parents because his siblings are probably helping to raise him. These are all assumptions I'm making, you know, based on typical middle child things. But his name's also Ajax. And Brandon, you had talked a little bit earlier about where his name comes from and a little bit about his father, too. Mm -hmm. His name, Ajax, comes from, you know, I guess was the name of one of the adventurers that his father liked to tell him stories about while they would be out ice fishing. And he really would get into his feelings listening to these stories about these brave adventurers going about the land and doing brave things. And he would often imagine himself in that role, you know, he would see himself as an adventurer uh, outdoing, you know, the brave and wonderful things that adventurers do. And then I, I was a little confused when looking into this because one of his story descriptions, it's it actually makes it sound like when he's 14 that he runs away. But I couldn't tell for sure if he ran away or just sort of tried to leave temporarily or if he was actually like, peace out, I'm gone. You all suck. I'm out of here. And I was a little confused because it, it sounded like his parents were nice, but I don't know. So and unless someone else has, you know, something to say, please stop me because I know I will ramble. But my understanding is that we do not know why, but Child is running away. Okay. Very like Jean Valjean. He's got like one thing of bread. He's leaving. He is out the door. He is going God knows where. That's kind of the mystery that lies with Child is that when he runs away at 14. We don't know the reason why. We don't know what was causing this. Was it just him being a kid? Was it just like a middle child thing? Maybe his siblings were bullying him? Or did something bigger happen? Especially knowing that the Fatui are stealing children left and right and God knows what else. Like, you know, I like to believe that child was running away because he didn't want to be in the Fatui because his father was a great adventurer and maybe he wanted his father wasn't a great adventurer, but he was an adventurer. So maybe he was trying to run away to follow in his father's footsteps, perhaps. That's what I had taken from it was that he was running away or leaving because he was going to prove himself as this adventurer. And he, you know, he had this great name that his father gave him and he was kind of meek and stuff like that until he fell into the pit to hell. So he was like, you know, this, I'm going to prove myself and I'm going to be the adventurer that my dad is. That's my my opinion, at least. Yeah, I definitely think that's a possibility. I also think he could have been maybe chasing after his father. Maybe he tried to leave with his father on an adventure. Mm. And he, you know, was told no. And then, you know, big-headed, thick-headed child was like, fuck that, I'm coming. I, I mean, I actually think Tiff is on the right track because in the actual character story, they use the word monotonous to describe his life. So, th so it says when he was 14, he fled his monotonous life at home with nothing but a short sword and a bag of bread in hand. So to me, that made it makes it sound like he was just bored. Mm hmm and was going off to have an adventure i would love to know where he was going like isn't like where do you guys think he was going i figured he was going to mondstadt because yeah that's hmm. where the knights of favonius and the adventurers guild to me that's the place you'd go i just haven't swayed you you have it yeah you may have swayed me <laughs> that's that's my head cannon, so i'm like you Damn. may have totally yes that is true i will put an asterisk next to that i might believe it because i've heard you say it so many times <laughs> my father says the city of freedom is fun <laughs> Oh, it's fun, all right. So, you know, we keep alluding to child falling into hell, the pit, the accident. What happens to child when he's running away? Like, he fucking falls into the abyss like a <laughs> dumb fuck. <laughs> you like, think he's noticed that hole in the ground. 
Well, so he's he was running away from bears and wolves, which right. is hilarious because how Russian. <laughs> it was like, ah, <laughs> yes. Being pursued by bears and wolf packs. <laughs> running through a snowy forest when you're 14 years old. As Vidanzia, you die now. And he actually lost his footing. So he didn't, I don't think it was that he didn't see it necessarily. It's that he was a little clumsy, which is interesting, you know, when you look at him now. And um, he slipped and fell. I guess there just happened to be a bottomless crack in the earth's <laughs> surface because he fell in it. He fell into a crack? <laughs> a booty hole? If you... It was Jean Lee's booty hole. <laughs> you know, yeah, mm-hmm, I believe it. But what's really crazy about this is that his character story also mentions that perhaps one should say that this dark realm had sensed the burning ambition in this boy's heart. So to me, it's very sus, and it, it almost sounds like that crack... <laughs> opened up like a flower on purpose like to try to get him which is really something that i've never seen before researching this where it makes it seem like the abyss you know i mean i guess we have sort of touched on it a little bit in the abyss episode where they do sometimes use language to describe it as almost like addictive Mm -hmm. but what what i hadn't really seen before is that the abyss itself is paying attention to people's ambition and is like trying to get people from to that that's a whole game changer to me i mean if your enemy is those with visions who get visions via passion yeah it makes total sense yeah target those who also have passion and then lead them down that path and you have maybe even stronger fuckers like the harbingers coming at you and doing your bidding and he falls down into the abyss, and there he meets this mysterious swordswoman named Skirk. Who is Skirk? We've touched on this before. We don't know who she is, but she's someone that is solitary, so she doesn't belong to like a group of people. And we know that she lives basically in the abyss, and she teaches him how to travel unhindered through the reaches of the abyss and he also witnesses the quote-unquote endless possibilities of another ancient world at 14 at the age of 14 (laughs) what and skirk teaches him his whole fighting style allegedly she's the one that teaches him the foul legacy transformation that he does as the third phase of his domain fight which makes no sense to me whatsoever in terms of what happens to him when he does the foul legacy transformation it knocks him on his ass afterwards he is exhausted but yeah i just find it this whole story is like insane he falls into the abyss there's the strange swordswoman there who is super powerful teaches him these abyss techniques shows him how to go through the abyss unhindered whatever that means i mean is he like going through portals Mm -hmm. Is he being poisoned by the abyss? It says that she nurtured the ability to stir up endless havoc from within Ajax's troublemongering nature. So it really sounds to me like this Skirk person was sort of preying on his worst, you know, impulses and you know, almost like turning him into something evil. And his, I'm sorry, there's a few voice lines in his stories and in like some character lines about him. One with the foul legacy, they say 
they call it the power that he's inherited. So it's not his power initially. So they are suggesting that whatever power he has was originally someone else's. We don't know whose. Is it originally Skirk's power? Is it originally mm. Akon Rian power? We don't know. What if it was like a masterless vision that he found in the abyss? Could also mm. be possible because it is known, I, from, I'm pretty sure it's known, that Child got his vision when he fell in the abyss. Like he woke up. But what if it's an, an, like a corrupted gnosis? That could also be a possibility. I also felt like there was a possibility that he could have inherited a like god's powers. We know that there are a lot of dead gods and we know that delusions are made by like the ashes and bones of dead archons and dead gods and all those fun things. And wouldn't it be interesting if he has the power of a god and that's why he's so exhausted after he uses it? We also know that he at some point came across a giant beast in the abyss that chilled him to the bone and fought it and that he can't wait to go up against it again. So he was definitely like, you know, fighting monsters while he was in there. I, I don't know. I just the idea that he could have like a, a god's power is very interesting to me because he that could be why he's so exhausted afterwards, too. Mm hmm. And using a delusion, I'm sure, with that on top of it would be very bad. But that's just a thing I I have in my head. I'm guessing it's not Skirk's power because he mentions that he's hoping that the next time he goes up against her, that she won't be able to beat him with just one hand now. Because I, I guess she's that powerful that she can fight him and win with only using one arm. Isn't that terrifying? After fighting child? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Also, another voice line that there is about the Val legacy, I believe it's Danesleaf says it in Child's like character trailer, that it's a power that he doesn't fully understand as well. Mm. There is a chance that Child himself really doesn't 100% know where he's gotten this ability from, which is kind of scary as well. Like, what the hell is happening in the Abyss? Right. But... You know, Child goes through all this training, fights with Skirk, fights these monsters, and Child is down there for three months when suddenly Child is not in the abyss anymore. He is in the forest back where he fell. There is no note of how he got out of the abyss, mind you. And his mom and sister find him and say that he's been gone for three days. Yeah, that weird this time frame, we talked about that in, in an earlier episode too. It's still so crazy to think that time runs so differently in so many aspects in the world. And I think it offers up an idea that even with the traveler, we could be, you know, we're saying 500 years, we're saying it's, you know, we, we know our linear time, but we don't know what the time is for anybody who's been above ground, below ground in another world. It could be totally running on its own timeline. Mm -hmm. Which is also horrifying. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> it makes me wonder how long the Abyss twin in this game has been around because we don't really know how much time they spend in the abyss. We know that they hop through these abyss portals to go to different places within Tevat. But I mean, how long are they hanging out in the abyss? Because if they go through the abyss portal and let's say they go, you know, from Mondstadt to the chasm and it takes a few days, well, a few days is a few months. So how long has the abyss twin 
been sort of going through their leader of the abyss adventures. Right. That's also a really good point. Like, do they think they've been in there like for thousands of years? Maybe. Yeah. Probs. Probably. And actually, have they been? Like, what's the, I mean, three months and three days. I mean, at a 14 year old would make a, a little bit of a difference. But if it's a longer period of time, you're aging so much faster in right. the abyss than like exponentially. So I just had like a thought, like, is that how some of them get to be so old, but look so young, but it would be the opposite. They would look really old and be young. I mean, we don't know how that fucking works. You could just not age in the abyss at all. Yeah. You can, might not age into Tevat. Oh, God. You pop out that age and you just stay in. <laughs> the second you enter Tevat, you freeze. <laughs> You're always going to be 20. Congrats. Yeah. <laughs> So I do want to just bring up Pulsanella again, as we're talking about, you know, child's family. We learned through his storyline that he's very close with his family. He will go to the depths of hell to rescue them. And when child is originally brought back by his mom and sister, he has all these very dangerous, violent tendencies. And his family decides that he should not live with them. He is too dangerous for the family and for the younger siblings specifically. And they send him into the Fatui where he gets no noticed by Pulsanella. Pulsanella is one of the harbingers and Pulsanella then starts to help him rise up in the ranks of the Fatui and quickly join the harbingers again as the youngest of the harbingers. Child then becomes very different than the other harbingers in the fact that he likes to be out in the open, he likes to make everything a game, and he's one of the few harbingers that leaves Shnazdaya often. And because he's always gone, he's always sending some stuff back home and Pulsanella actually like goes and checks in on his family for him and child's father is supposedly sickly now as well so i do wonder if that will be something that comes up in a future mm. update we know his father was the one that actually handed him over to the fatui mm -hmm. because of all the trouble he was making in their village mm -hmm. and he basically handed him over for conscription into the fatui which is an official process i guess it's sort of like you're gonna be you're gonna go into the military whether you like it or not <laughs> and get some sense with into you and while he was there he was like beating the crap out of all these armed troops as a child <laughs> and that's sort of what drew Pulsanella's attention over to him and one thing that i think is really curious is that Pulsanella was shocked by ajax's great strength and curious about how he invariably invariably became the eye of a vortex of discord and that really reminds me of some other descriptions of his personality and everything after he's in the abyss where he just loves chaos yeah and really kind of gets off on just chaos being everywhere we also know that he wants to take over the world <laughs> and um specifically wants to crush the throne of the gods under his feet so th there is definitely you know an enemy of celestia thing happening as well but i think that's really strange and it, to me i feel like when he was in the abyss that whatever happened to him whatever skirk did to him it didn't just teach him these things and he i don't think he's just his personality is like that a little bit from just naturally because i think he's just naturally a little bit of a troublemaker yeah but i think that from what we know 
about the abyss. I think it really corrupted him on a personal level and made him an agent of chaos in a way that any person would not normally be. Like there's something inside of him now that is making him really um, craving chaos and danger and power. Absolutely. And I think that that's a really great point because we do see some of his like softer sides in the way that he acts with his family, even with the way he acts with the traveler, Zhongli. And later on, we actually run into child in Inazuma a few times. The first time with Jinyan and most recently with Yoimiya where he's helping some kids track down I forget what they're tracking down but they're tracking down something he's trying to track down something and he's so kind-hearted with all of these characters with the children with Yoimiya with Jinyan and you see the softer side of him and you're like how how is this the same killing machine I mean maybe he's just has a soft spot for children because he was a child when this traumatic thing happened to him So he feels protective of kids, you know? That's a really good point, actually. And, you know, there's uh, not too much to note in those Inazuma events. The one wasn't even really an event. He just kind of was there. During the other event, the main thing you find out is that he's looking for Skara, Skaramouche, who has run away post the Inazuma Arkham War with the Electronosis and has not returned to the Harbingers with it, as Skara is also one of the Harbingers. So Child has been sent on, like, the goose chase, basically, to find him. Right. Which is probably really frustrating for him because this is after Senora has gone to Inazuma and been killed. And so now he's being sent. And I'm sure he's kind of like, well, this is my chance to prove myself after that shit show in Liyue where Senora and Zhongli embarrassed me. Then he can't find Skara. <laughs> Literally. And let me tell you, we know where Skara is. Sorry, child. Right. I don't know if you're finding him anytime soon. <laughs> I mean, I barely found his domain. I didn't even know it was a real thing yet. So, but, you know, I think that's most of what we know about Child. So what are some like thoughts and theories and hold up, hold the fuck up, hold the fuck up. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead, Al. We've yet to talk about the opera. Well, I think this is a thought and theory. Yeah, go for it. Thank you. Okay, this is. Okay, look, I wasn't searching. (laughs) Yes, all the thoughts and theories. Go for it. What is this opera? Have you seen a Comedia dell'arte? No, no, no. Definitely not. (laughs) So, I got really into this after A Winter Night's Lazzo, the trailer of Senora's funeral. A lot of this comes from Marco Meatball on YouTube, who is a, I think he's a current opera opera singer. He's a pro opera singer turned gamer turned YouTuber turned voice actor. I think maybe in the, in the wrong order. He's pretty fucking amazing, but he went into a full deep dive of how the entirety of the Fatui Harbingers are based off of characters in the Comedia del Arte, and one of those being Tartaglia. Ooh. And to further that, we kind of have got to teach y'all a little broad stroke of what this opera is. The Comedia del Arte is basically a joke. It's a comedy. It's an Italian comedy. So a lot of the times it's a bunch of these characters who play specific roles and they talk and joke about concepts or situations and it's it's 
supposed to be very funny. Mm-hmm. Alazzo, L-A-Z-Z-O, is technically supposed to be a gag, but in the sense of this teaser trailer <laughs> of Senora's funeral, it's considered a meeting. It's quite funny how, how they've like mixed that in, like, oh my god, this is such a joke. Is it? Is it? Is Senora not actually dead? That's crazy out coming out. But... <laughs> With the characters of this opera, of this comedy, you have everyone we've kind of we kind of talked about. The known characters of the Commedia dell'arte are Piero in When We Look at Genshin, Pantalone, De Torre, Capitano, Colombino, Pulciana, Archieno, Scaramuccia, La Signora, and Tartaglia. Tartaglia is usually described as the stutterer one of the older presenting characters and always is wearing a large hat and an enormous cloak, but he's also very representative of having a mask as most of the characters in this opera do. They wear masks, it's very common to show like different expressions. So usually he's the stutterer, but he's also presented as a minister or a statesman, is very cocky, somewhat deviant, very like, is there for the fun of it, which kind of plays back into how Bees was talking about child being all about chaos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's somewhat not a linear like a linear representation of Tartaglia in the opera versus our Tartag, but the fact that all of these characters are named after characters of a comedy brings in the question, is everything a joke? <laughs> is this what is happening? <laughs> it also it, like there's that juxtaposition that all these people in the Fatui Harbingers, since it's a part of or we can relate it to the comedy, the Italian comedy, the juxtaposition of how dark it is, how like they steal children, how we don't really know what their main goal is, so we can speculate as we as we continue on. We're speculating that it's very fucked up. It's odd and I love it. Anyway. <laughs> No, it definitely is. And it's an interesting comparison. Like you said, too, like the character of Signora, is she like alive? Like, was that whole funeral like a facade? We don't know. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's very interesting. But it's also a lot to take in. It is. It is a lot. We'll make sure to link some info and links to the YouTuber you mentioned on our webpage as well on talesofdevot.com so people can kind of take a deeper dive into it since we don't have enough time to take like the deepest dive into it. I think <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Marco Meatball does the best and he basically go not goes frame by frame but almost note by note of the entirety of Child's boss theme mm. and how it directly relates to the Tartaglia character of the Comedia de dell'arte it's fantastic that's so interesting too he also does that on other video games too Mm -hmm. definitely 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 worth a check oh absolutely that's fascinating and i wonder why they chose this italian theme for these characters who live in a (laughs) russian themed area that is a wonderful question b because there are multiple different ballets they could have like taken from mm-hmm. like the nutcracker no yes <laughs> no, the, i mean they could have taken a tchaikovsky ballet which would have been black swan i would have preferred that but there are multiple different like ballets they could have played with but i think the opera is kind of connected to how Yun Jin is also all about the Chinese opera and performance in general. And then we have 
multiple different characters that perform maybe not opera but cultural dances or types of cultural music Mm -hmm. it could have also like been a way for them to like they may have been like damn we are really pushing the russian thing here maybe we (laughs) just need to flip it up a little bit so nobody gets too mad right i mean understandable (laughs) yeah yeah well, but see, we also know one thing about the Fatui Harbingers, and one of the reasons that Child doesn't especially like dealing with them is that they are more, like, clandestine in, in terms of, like, the way they approach battles and their shenanigans that they're always doing is they're very manipulative and conniving right. and sort of do things under the surface. So I love that they do have this theme of that's, like, very farcical, and, like, they have, they're all wearing masks and... You know, some of them are like fancier, but, you know, it all is at the end of the day, sort of a a comedy. And Child is very much like the wild card in that he is very direct about like, I want to battle you and I want to battle you and I'm (laughs) going to like come out to your face and do it, except for the whole Leeway storyline in which he uh, did stab us in the back a little bit. I think that's something that kind of fits really well is is this ha-ha-ha Italian comedy where people are wearing masks and wearing fancy clothes and, you know, you have these harbingers who are going through these manipulative channels, using their contacts and being really sly about everything that they do. I I think that's a really nice juxtaposition. Can, Can I also throw out a random crackpot theory what if they are based on an italian comedy because their whole goal is to take down celestia but it's actually not celestia behind a lot of shit so it's like it's italy (laughs) celestia is based on italy (laughs) it's the pope actually behind everything what i was gonna say that i think is really interesting about that is they pull a lot from historical stuff all the time in this game we've seen that a lot already But, you know, one of the things that I found really interesting was that Ajax is also Ajax the Great. And Ajax the Great was a character known to, or, you know, quote unquote known, to be involved in the Trojan War, which I believe was, was that a Russian or Greek war? I mean, I'm sorry, Italian or Greek war. I believe it was all the Greeks. All the Greeks. During the Trojan War, there was a character named Ajax the Great, and he was involved in the Trojan War, said to be like with the Trojan horse. And his brother was a very skilled bowman, bowman named Teucer. And I find that very interesting because, you know, Ajax has a younger brother, Teucer, that he adores with all of his heart. Honestly, I think Teucer captured all of his hearts when we babysat him during the storyline. And... Additionally, Ajax's worst combat skill is with the bow, and that's why he Tartaglia is a bow user, because he is trying to become better at it. So he finds it more like invigorating when he like kills someone with a bow because he's using skills he's not necessarily good at, which is also very frightening. Because <laughs> we have yet to see him fight with anything besides his like water daggers. But I think what's interesting is that they are pulling from Roman and Greek influences for the harbingers and al you've mentioned a lot but in the past that celestia which we get a very quick glimpse into on our loading screen is very like greco-roman looking and greek looking right yes specifically because doric columns and here's the thing i know i bring that up a lot i only have so many opportunities to get to say doric columns they're not necessarily hellenic columns because they're not as decorated i mean we could say the gold embellishment is decoration either way it's a lot of white marble it's a lot of you know these very specific and artfully cut designs 
that make it very Greco-Roman. So there is one more thing I'd like to say, and I know this is going to be like the most unpopular opinion, probably, but I had canon very much that Child is anti the Fatui. And I have a few reasons for that. And I know some of them are biased because I he's like a main character in my fan fiction. But I truly believe that Child was running away to become an adventurer. I think that wholeheartedly could be true. And that when he ran away to become an adventurer, he was hoping to leave behind this world of the Fatui. You know, we don't necessarily know why. I would like to believe that he was seeing kids getting kidnapped and he didn't like that. And maybe he was trying to find a place for him and his siblings to start fresh, start anew. Like maybe he had a goal of like coming back for those younger kids. I don't know. Of course, there is I have no facts behind this. I want to just put that out there. And I think that, you know, when Ajax comes back and he's this trained fighter and he's told that he's a danger to his family, this love and adornment for his siblings kind of makes him feel like he has no choice but to go into the Fatui because he feels like he has to protect them still. And then to see all the crazy stuff that the Fatui are doing and specifically doing to kids and knowing that he has a sickly father, you know, his siblings could hypothetically become orphans at any time. If I, I wouldn't put it past the Fatui if their sickly father died to kill the mom. Like, I'm sure child wouldn't put it past them either, especially knowing that they all have the same blood as him. Like, are they all possible of killing? Possibly. I don't know. Tusser, definitely. I don't know about the others. But I like to believe that he's trying to take down the Fatui from the inside. That there's something going on there. That he's not a big fan of the Fatui. Mm. Or I also like to think that if he's not trying to take down the Fatui, he doesn't agree with the Fatui and is simply using them for information. Like, almost as if he's using his, like, political power to get the things he needs to accomplish his own personal goals, which seem to be fighting Skirk and getting revenge on what happened to him as a kid. I, so I, I like the idea that he doesn't, he's not a fan of the Fatui. I don't think he is. I think that he ultimately wants to be rid of all of them. So I do like that idea. I don't think that he's trying to take them down from the inside necessarily. I mean, I do think he wants to take them down eventually, but I don't think that's like why he's there. Right. Okay. I think that he is there just because of the Saritza and he just sort of sees them all as like sort of in the way. Mm -hmm. But I do think that his ultimate goal is conquering the world. And I think that that, you know, somehow got instilled in him when he was lost in the abyss. But I don't know. I, I really like that idea that he is going to turn against some of them. I just don't know if it's going to be for the same reason that you're saying. But I do like your theory. I even went as far as kind of pulling in his what Tartaglia means in, in Italian, which is the stutterer. It's a literal translation of it. And just kind of looked at it and said, well, could this actually be? He started as this meek kid. He went to the abyss. He became this crazy person, joined the Fatui. Is he going to have like another stutter in his life? Kind of almost the same type of like kind of way. Like, is he going to actually step backward and go back to being a hero in the story? Ooh, that would be cool. It's a really deep little the way to go there. Yeah. What if that corruption could be taken out of him somehow and he 
becomes a good person again. We know that he's capable of love. We we saw him with Tucer. We hear him talking to his sister. Like, I think he still has some good in him. Where, like, I feel like in the latest Sumeru Archon quest, when you actually do get to speak with Dodore, like, I, I feel like, you know, this dude, he's no good. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. you, you know that he is cold and shut down, where I feel like Child has those little inklings of being kind of like, he's even nice to the Fatui that work under him, where everybody else is kind of like, oh, the people that work for me and he's like nice to them and he's training them and he doesn't treat them like they're just subservient and stuff like that so i feel like he's still in there somewhere i have one last thing to say about him on my end and that's you know feeny you love to theorize (laughs) every week that someone's gonna die oh no but you never talk about it being child and i'm a little curious as to why that is considering he literally has a voice line <laughs> talking about the traveler in him having a final battle to the death <laughs> So here's my thing. I do think that child could die and I just don't like thinking about it. (laughs) You know, child is one of my favorite characters and I, you know, all jokes aside with child, like obviously like he's a fucking ass half the time, but I really have created this connection with child in the same way I have with like Albedo and D-Luke and Kaya because they're all such main players in my OC story. Mm -hmm. Quick snippet. I write an OC story. I've mentioned it a bunch of times. You guys are probably like, what the hell she mentioned? it 9,000 times it gives us nothing but it's supposed to be that child was running away from Shaznaya with his childhood best friend Nat and Nat didn't fall into the abyss child did she assumed child died and she continued on to Mondstadt where she has a new family basically and new friends and she's out there living her life (laughs) and she'll one day run into child again and want to murder him for lying to her for so long that's a whole thing. But I think because of writing the story and, you know, personifying child in the way I want him to be for my story, that I've just become so attached to him. And the idea of him dying is very, like, painful. But I could see him having some, like, change of heart. And I could see, like, him sacrificing himself to save the traveler, to save Zhang Li, to save his family, possibly even to save Pulsanella. You know, he is slowly making these new friends across Tabat too, in Jinyan and in Yoin mia as well who knows what other friends he's making i'm i'm hoping he'll make a sumeru appearance shortly but we don't know and so i definitely think child could die and i think there's a high probability that it will be like self-sacrifice almost Mm -hmm. i feel like him and scaramouche have like the same level of depression except child pushes it all in and is like i'm just gonna murder instead yay and scara has kind of reached a point where he can't do that anymore i mean he's like hundreds of years old so it makes sense but child hasn't reached that breaking point yet and I don't think he's lost enough besides losing like himself to find that point. You know, he's never lost a friend. He's never lost a family member yet that we know of. He's only lost his inner self, which is horrible. But he obviously never went to therapy and dealt with that. <laughs> so, you know, he doesn't really see that as a loss either. So I think there's definitely a chance that something will happen to the child. And it makes me sad. Well, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> that, that something yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He's like, fingers crossed he's gonna die. And I'm like, fingers crossed he's not gonna die. Let's hope no. it's in the next update. Wow. <laughs> Scar and him just get into a duel to the death. And Nihita's like, yeah, kill him. <laughs> just do it. It's fine. Oh. For all of our travelers as well, if you're interested in Fiendster's OC story, you can also find that linked off of it. It lives on the same website as Tales of Tabat. So if you just check out our pages, you'll see a link 
over to Tales of an Ex Chesnayan. Give it a read. Yeah. Talesoftothat.com. If you haven't read it yet, motherfucker, why? <laughs> Especially if you uh, love albedo romance, you're definitely going to want to. Yeah. It's, oh very, it's very subtle cuteness. Yeah. It's yeah. so wholesome. Not at all what I would do because I like evil. But oh we my get God. there. Don't worry. She hasn't She hasn't even met child yet again. In oh, it, yeah, that's so. right. But Al, yours would just be smut. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> I am a sleut for smoot, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> but on that note, I do think that's all the time we have for today. I just want to give uh, travelers a quick reminder that we will be doing the Welkin Moon giveaway starting right now on our Instagram, Tales of Tavat Pod, and on our Twitter, Tales of Tavat. You'll have a whole week to enter. We have some more information on our cha- social channels right now on when deadlines to enter, you know, what counts as an entry, blah, blah, blah. So make sure to follow us. Make sure to check it out. We'd love to be able to celebrate you uh, for supporting us. So please do that. Also, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, theories, things you didn't like, whatever it might be, please feel free to give us an email as well. Tales of Tavat Pod at gmail.com. We would love, love, love to hear from everyone and see what you guys are thinking. Otherwise, please join us next week when we take a step back to Mondstadt, the city of freedom, and talk about Duval and the Dragon. Duval and these nuts! Otherwise, travelers, safe journeys. We'll see you next week. Bye, comrade nerds. Bye.